And I think that the shift I made was realizing that if you focused on a longer term promise rather than just the promise of what is it that's going to get them to buy, but what is it that's going to get them to buy and keep coming back? I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast focused on small shifts that can make epic differences in our lives and at work. I am so excited to introduce a second time visitor to my podcast, first time on Humanly Possible, second time I've interviewed her on my previous podcast. Um, she's someone I admire and have honor and have been so honored to have some really great discussions over the years, uh, both in person and over Zoom these days. Uh, I'd love to introduce Robbie Kelman Baxter. She has more than 20 years of experience providing strategic business advice to major organizations like, you know, little ones like Netflix and Fitbit and Microsoft and Consumer Reports. And she's been focused on subscription and growth strategies for the past decade, which we're going to dive in a little bit into community and what that means throughout um, everything that she does. She's been focused on, uh, on how to grow subscription and growth strategies for the for the past decade and she has also been featured in the Wall Street Journal and you know CNN little things little papers here and there that you guys might have heard about and really cool she's no uh no stranger to really smart educational institutions she's earned her MBA from Stanford graduate school business and graduated with honors from Harvard College welcome to the show oh thanks for having me it's so fun to be here with you Thank you. I am so, so uh, excited to talk about this. This is one of my favorite topics, and I know it is yours too. Yeah. Why don't we just dive right in? I love to dive into little shifts just in your own career, like maybe a little shift in your career that, that made an epic outcome, but you did, maybe you knew it at the time and what it would do, or maybe you didn't know what that was. What's a small shift in your life that you made that really made a big difference? So many ways I could answer that. Um, one one small shift was I stepped off the... I don't know if this is small or not, but I decided to be an independent consultant when I was laid off, um, when I got laid off when I was on maternity leave with my second child. And I thought it was going to be a stopgap measure. Like, I can't go find a new job right now because... I have a baby and a toddler, um, but it actually ended up sending my life in a completely different direction. And I'm so grateful. You know, they always say when something really bad happens to you, like, oh, maybe there's a silver lining. Um, but in this case, you know, looking back, if I, I don't think if I'd not gotten laid off, I don't think I would have taken this path. What did you do when that happened and you decided maybe I could be a consultant or a, or, or a contractor? What was your thinking in terms of how you're going to now go take this on in, in this place where you were at that time? Yeah. Well, first of all, I was really scared because we had just bought a house the year prior in California, which was really expensive. And, you know, I needed an income to cover the mortgage, my share of the mortgage. And, um, you know, so I was really scared. So the first thing I said is I'll do any work in a general category of somewhere between strategy, marketing, and product in a tech 
business, which is what I was doing. Um, and anything that they ask me to do, and if they pay me this much, I was still hourly, I'll just do it. If they want me to create PowerPoint, if they want me to edit documents, if they want me to pick up lunch for the marketing team and they're willing to pay me, I'll, I'll do anything. Um, and then as I kind of got into it, I started to study what does it mean to be an independent consultant and what are best practices. And I realized, oh, you need to have an area of expertise. Uh, otherwise, you're just arms and legs. And that was what sort of set me off on the path to you know, focusing on subscription and membership models because Netflix happened to be a client. And I thought, this is the best model I've ever seen. So you know, it's just like kind of one, one little shift after another and you kind of see where it takes you. It's like one degree moves you and then all of a sudden you're way off you know, in an unchartered uh, territory. You are so speaking my language. That's exactly what I believe as well, that little shifts can can all add up to some big changes and we don't really know where they're heading. Um, so I'd also love to jump into the little shifts that you've seen in marketing, especially as you've entered into more refined and focused area, perhaps maybe you might even call it a niche area of the, including your latest book, The Forever Transaction, um, this member idea of membership and community. Can you talk about that and how, how that shift happened for you? Yeah. So, so it's funny because I, I often say I'm a, I'm not a jumper inner. I'm a toe dipper. Like when it comes to doing something new, there's some people who are like, I'm all in, you know, and then there's other people who dip their toe in and see how it is. And I've always been a toe dipper. I've been very cautious um, and made very small changes uh, over time. So uh, I find your, this thesis about, you know, these small shifts really powerful. Um, on the marketing side, you know, for a while I was doing general marketing and I've always been, you know, interested in people and I'm a connector and, you know, that's the part of marketing. I mean, I'm very analytical too, but the part that I find really interesting is the why do they buy and why are they here and what are they hoping to get out of it and can we deliver on that promise? And I think that the shift I made was realizing that if you focused on a longer term promise rather than just the promise of, what is it that's going to get them to buy? But what is it that's going to get them to buy and keep coming back? That that really small shift in perspective can justify subscription pricing, which in turn can justify a much higher multiple in the public markets. Um, if you're a solopreneur, it justifies this you know lovely, predictable, recurring drumbeat of revenue. And it really starts with just changing the lens that you're looking at your customer relationship through. So you're dipping your toe into all of this and walk me through actually how you first dipped your toe into this. And then again, and then eventually you started to see where the growth could happen. And you now found, found yourself, find yourself doing more and more of this and maybe even focusing solely on this. Yeah. So, um, like I said, uh, my, my fifth client was Netflix and in the back of my head, I was thinking, I need to find something to focus on. You know, what is going to be my area of expertise? Because that's what you need to be a successful consultant. And I was like, this is, you know, sometimes people, when you, when you go backwards, people say, oh, so that was the moment. And then you became an expert on subscriptions and then life was rosy. But it was much more like, this is interesting. I like this. I'm curious about it. And then I got a call from somebody who said, hey, I saw this posting that somebody's looking for a consultant who understands the Netflix model. And I remember you did some work for them. Would you be open to that? And so I said, sure. And then there was another one like that. 
And then I started to say, wow, there's some, there's some patterns here. This is really interesting. Maybe this could be my thing. Um, but I still had a lot of other kinds of work. You know, I was doing all different kinds of marketing work, strategy work, product work. And so it was really like, you know, it just kept moving towards this subscription thing. Um, because companies were trying to figure it out. Or then I'd have a SaaS client and I'd say, oh, these are the same issues. You know, if you looked at Netflix a little more closely, maybe you wouldn't have to deal with, you know, the failure to launch or the failure to land and expand. I can tell you why it's not working. And I started to see the patterns. And so I just kept, you know, the shift kept widening. Um, and that that's really what what got me started down this path. Plus I found it interesting and and um, engaging. So I wanted to keep pursuing it. I would too, because I'm so fascinated with and, and can't wait to hear the psychology behind uh, this, behind memberships and building community and building um, this new... It's not so... I mean, there have been memberships for for as far back as I can remember, but the, the way that technology organizes memberships, I would imagine is different than the way we've done it. Like when Blockbuster video was around, it was a totally different uh, way. How, how do you see it? Yeah, it's a really good point. So absolutely. Subscriptions have been around forever. Memberships have been around forever. I mean, for goodness sake, we're members of our family. We're members of our you know, church or our synagogue or our place of worship. Um, you know, we're members of sororities and fraternities and, you know, Book of the Month Club's been around for a hundred plus years, which is sort of crazy. Charles Dickens wrote his book on subscription. His book was sold as a subscription. Um, so people would get each new chapter and pay him. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, these aren't new ideas. Trade guilds where you'd pay an annual fee to be part of this group that protected the integrity of your your industry or your, your functional area. But what's changed in the last 15 years or so is that technology is extending the infrastructure that enables these ongoing trusted relationships. So it's just a lot easier and a lot cheaper for any organization that can dream up a long-term promise that justifies subscription revenue to provide that value and to be paid on that monthly or annual cadence in a way that you, you couldn't do before. So that's that's really what's changed. You know, um, always on technology, the declining costs of storage, the ability for individuals to create their own content and share it with the world, the ability to have online community, all of that has made it possible for even like a solopreneur uh, with great concepts, great ideas to build a membership around their subject matter expertise. This podcast is brought to you by Penji. Penji is an unlimited graphic service that connects you with the top 2% of graphic designers in the world. Get the creative output of an internal design team without the overhead cost. Receive custom design projects from logos to flyers, from digital print, and even UI UX. I know because I've used them. They're perfect for, for graphic design service if you're the person that's either doing all the graphic design yourself or maybe you have an internal team that's just too busy and you need to outsource some of it. I've used them in creating our latest project, a 42-page ebook on productivity for coaches and consultants. It turned out fantastic. I've been very impressed with the overall communication and delivery. And what's great about Penji is that you're not just working with one designer's skill or style. Your team's skills can be treated like a design buffet. You can request a logo, custom illustrations, and even a website design all under one plan. 
This is because I need that level of flexibility and it's hard to find that by hiring a freelancer online. And not to mention the longer you work with Penji, the more they learn about your style and the brands you work with. Because you're a listener of Humanly Possible, the podcast, you get 15% off your first month. The process is simple. Before you sign up, enter the code H2H15. That's H number 2H15. And once you're in, submit your brief for the first project. I recommend submitting clear details so your brief is totally understandable and add visual examples so the team can see your style and knows exactly what you're looking for. Need a few edits? You can make revisions directly on the platform. Projects are always delivered in under 48 hours. And overall, I was super impressed with the process that it ended up giving me more time throughout my day. I felt confident that Penji was going to get it right and I didn't have to micromanage. So head over to penji.co and use the code H2H15 today for a better way to outsource your graphic design. Again, that's penji.co and use the code H2H15. What makes a good community or a good membership, maybe even a great uh, one versus something that just doesn't, it doesn't ever take? I've seen those before. I'm sure you have where it was a good idea at the time kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, lots of examples. Um, it has to be, I mean, there's a couple of things. One is sort of structurally, like, is it a group of people that are trying to achieve an ongoing goal who can help each other um, to achieve that goal? And that goal could be, you know, I want to look amazing all the time. I want to be super fashionable, or it can be, you know, I want to learn how to how to do a podcast, right? So learning is a, is a key piece of that. Any kind of ongoing problem or opportunity, and it has to be something where people are willing to share their own expertise because that's kind of what a community is and provide support. Um, so, so those are some of the basics in terms of the subject matter. And then in terms of, let's say that you said, well, I want to build, I think I have a, an area where I could create that kind of community. You have to actually invest a lot of facilitation and moderating time, especially in the beginning in order to grow it. It's like, you know, once a tree is, you know, is large, there's not much you have to do to keep it alive. But when you start with the little acorn, there's a lot of, you know, care and tending and weeding and watering and making sure it gets the right sun until it can take care of itself. And so what I see that's a, that's an issue is, is people underestimate the investment that's required to, you know, get, you know, it's kind of chicken and egg, get the people to show up, get them to comment, get them to post, um, get them to be helpful. Um, all of that requires a really engaged facilitator who can also set social norms. So the other thing that I see um, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably had this experience too. Like I see it all the time, for example, on Nextdoor, which I love, but there's just a lot of stuff where you're like, this isn't helpful. This is mean-spirited. I wish there were a facilitator who would just, you know, take that person offline and tell them to behave, to say, hey, this is supposed to help our neighborhood, not hurt it. Um, so you really need that, that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just grow by itself. It needs some kind of human care and feeding. Well, you just said the buzzword right there. Anything, anytime Keeping you use it human. the word human, it's, it's always welcome on this podcast. I, um, I know that there's been some ways that people have built communities that have grown viral and then it really takes on a life of its own. And is that the best? I mean, obviously, there's then there's well cared for communities that 
create like all of these, all this content and really like, I heard about Lady Gaga's community where it was like the, her top like 2000 VIPs who actually created user generated content for her, like our illustrated shirts and stuff like that. Um, there's so many different flavors and, and types. How do you figure out what kind of community is best? Yeah. Well, it's always in service of some goal. Um, community doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like, like we get together in, you know, let's say next door because we all live in the same area and we're trying to have the best experience of living here and collaborate to help each other achieve those goals um, or to learn something or whatever the reason is. That's why we come to the community. The community organizer has to be getting something out of it as well. So I think the, the first thing, if you're thinking about launching a community is as the community owner or the community instigator, why are you doing it? What is the outcome you want? And then to think about how to facilitate the conversation to support it growing in that way. Just like a gardener you know, prunes the tree in a certain direction because they have a certain goal of what, what they want the tree to look like. Um, it's sort of the same thing. You have to be thinking about that up front. I think that's the the number, and, you know, letting it go wild. I mean, when people talk about that, usually it's like, well, I've taken care of it and I've taken care of it and I've taken care of it. And now it's growing beautifully without me. And then they might say, and then this branch went like this, you know, and went back and, you know, down into the ground and is kind of this volunteer that is not what I wanted. And I have to decide, do I, do I cut it? Do I just accept it? Do I try to train it in a different direction? And I think that's the kinds of issues that people talk about when they talk about going viral. What humanizes a community? I think communities are innately human. It's all of us gathering together to share ideas, challenges, best practices, tips, experiences. Um, And that's very, I mean, there's all kinds of things that are very human, you know, but it can be I don't know, bad human, (laughs) you know, in other words, it can, it can support bad behavior. So for example, I am not a big fan of anonymity, uh, in a community. Um, there are occasions where it makes sense or where it makes sense for the site or the community owner to know who these people are, but then to protect their anonymity in the group. Um, but it, you know, it creates better behavior if people know you. It's like when you're in your car, you're probably a little more aggressive than if you're walking on the street and you're face to face with somebody. Um, and if you know that person and they know your name and they know where you live, you're going to be that much more respectful, empathetic, thoughtful. So I think if you're asking what would make it more positively human, more more kind, more empathetic, it's really about number one, people being their own self. Number two, so no no hiding. Um, number two is having it nicely facilitated. And number three is people, you know, aspiring to achieve the same kinds of objectives. Oh, well, that, that's, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of all we really, because connection is at the core of Every human's uh, one of one of the, at the one of the things that's at the core of every human's need is connection with others, and it's so interesting right now with everything that we're going through in the pandemic. How much community we need to feel and see, and all we really can can rely on right now is um, well, human to Zoom to human, <laughs> or uh, or human to community to human. I mean, it's you know, there's so much less physical community 
now and for companies to create that sense of belonging and, and, um, and, and maybe a little bit feeling like we're all kind of together. Is that possible to, I mean, not that we can completely replicate being in, in person, but is there a, a next level to that? Yeah. I mean, when I think about Zoom, I think of it in much the same way that I think about, you know, when I was in, in high school and I was an exchange student and I wasn't allowed to use the phone. So I wrote a lot of letters. And of course, a letter is not the same thing as being in the same room with a loved one. But at the same time, it opens up a different channel for connection. There are things that you would say in a letter that you would never say if you were, you know, a roommate of somebody or sitting next to them, you know, at a at a dinner or at a party. And I feel the same way with Zoom or with, you know, with with this kind of video chat. It it opens up different kinds of possibilities for connection. Um, in in the work world, it certainly opens up a lot of different ways of interacting. Everybody's this like somebody, you know, I was thinking about this that, you know, everybody's the same size on the Zoom screen. So suddenly, you know, you don't have the boss sitting at the head of the table. Everybody is more is more equal. It's a little more democratic. And you can have a side conversation in the chat, um, which is a really different way of having a conversation, right? You're presenting and I'm texting the group, you know, in this chat saying, that's really interesting. Remind me, I want to make a comment about that. And then even you can record your your presentation and then you can participate in the chat as we're all watching you do your thing. So that's just a whole different way of interacting that I love. Um, I also, you know, people have different feelings about this too, but you see where the person lives or where they are. And that gives you more insight as to who they are, you know, seeing people's kids and their cats and their, you know, their artwork. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think that it's not, it's not ideal, but it does open up new possibility for a different kind of connection. Oh, that, that gives me a a lot of hope. Um, especially with, Zoom fatigue and and everything else going on right now, but at the same time we need it and that that level of connection and like you said empathy and cr- uh, creating more um, more oh, what's the word just um, ability to be able to uh, connect at any moment's notice, especially in a community. You can jump into a community anytime. You can't jump on Zoom anytime, even though you kind of can, but you have to schedule it and reach out. But that's, I think, the big difference between community for me is I can log in and go, hey guys, how are you doing? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'd love to now know like, and, and, this, and complete this with this next level up, that next step up into what creates a, a subscribed community, something that becomes a, an exchange of... Uh, the subscription model, which basically you cover in the Forever Transaction, your latest book, after your your book before this, the membership economy, um, and congratulations by the way on your on your book uh, oh. as well. <laughs> but I'd love to know what is that uh, what does that look like when it goes from community to subscription model? Yeah, so not all subscriptions um, have an elementive community and not all communities require a subscription. They're kind of, there's an intersection, I think, um, for, for people that are thinking about this from sort of a business perspective, um, there are, the, the, a really well cared for community is worth paying for. I mean, there's, there's a lot of communities where you say, you know, I can just come in and there's other people like me from all over the world that have this same kooky passion or this same career objective. And I can, I can connect with them in a way that feels safe and productive. 
right? So, so that's kind of something to think about that people, you know, if you're a brand, for example, if you have a brand and you sell a product, but then you have a community of people who share a passion around that product. So you sell bicycles and this is a community of cyclists or, um, you know, you sell professional services for graphic designers, and this is a community where graphic designers can share challenges and best practices. You're creating more value for your customers, whether you charge them or you don't charge them for that. Um, you create stickiness, you create something that is not easily replicable. It's very differentiated. A community is unique. Um, and the longer you are part of a community, the more entrenched you become because you get to know the people and the norms and you establish maybe some status in that community where you're known by people and respected. It's very hard to pick up and leave. Just like when you move to a new city, you're like, you know, back home, everybody knew who I was and here I'm a nobody. Uh, I think it's kind of the same thing with, with, the, with the digital community. Um, so it creates a lot of value for subscription. I also think that um, you don't always need to have a subscription to support your, your community. Well, we could spend so much time talking. I have so many more questions for you, but I don't want to, I want to make sure that we leave enough room for people to actually go out, get your book and (laughs) read all the good stuff in there. So tell everybody where to find you and where to find your book. Yeah. So the book is called um, the forever transaction and uh, it really focuses on how to launch scale or lead the kind of organizations we've been talking about, the ones that are really focused on this long-term value and connection with the people you serve. And you can get it uh, anywhere you buy books. Uh, and you can uh, learn more about me uh, at RobbieKelmanBaxter.com. Wonderful. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes for everybody that's listening. And thank you so much for being on and giving of yourself and to this community. So thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure, Brian. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes. And if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time. Until next time.